Blog Talk Radio. Mr. Hahn, you fought well yesterday. Your style is unorthodox, but effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. The winning. We are all ready to win, just as we are born knowing only life. It is defeat that you must learn to prepare for. I don't waste my time with it. When it comes, I won't even notice. Oh, how so? I'll be too busy looking good. What were you looking for when you attacked my guards? Wasn't me. You were the only man outside the palace. I was outside. But I wasn't the only one. You will tell me who else. Mr. Han, suddenly I'd like to leave your island. It is not possible. Bullshit, Mr. Handman. Man, you come right out of a comic book. Traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays. The Uncanny Daryl D. Mind Expansion Engaged. featuring Captain Kirk, and of course, the extended team, Daryl B. and the lovely Claire Linnae. Now, a couple of things, folks. The captain is persona non grata. He is unavailable. He's out on assignment, but he will be returning perhaps Wednesday, if not Wednesday, certainly the next Grindhouse show. Daryl is at the New York Derby imbibing on some soccer, the Red Bulls, local soccer team so uh that's a pretty big event i think he's forthcoming though he's going to be coming in a little bit later so it's going to be myself and clay Linnae. and clay Linnae has a a weekly roundup there's a lot of things going on so we're going to get to her in a few moments um 
The call-in number in the interim is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. You know, a chief component of the Afro-Nerd Radio Machinery deals with urban alternative music, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, progressive hip-hop, all that good stuff that you're just not hearing on conventional radio. So without further ado, let's go to about two minutes of a groove. And when we get back, we'll talk about this weekly roundup with Claire Lene. And then, of course, that will be uh, her doppelganger. <laughs> he, he will be coming at some point, coming in at some point. Anyway, this is Soul Live and Robert Randolph, Crosstown Traffic, classic. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Frontier. 
Okay, he's not here. <laughs> and Daryl B., uh, he's forthcoming. So we still have a full show. We still have a full staff, even, with, if it, even if it's yours truly. And this young lady from the left coast, we have, of course, Claire Lene in full effect. i got to call her the uncanny part two. Anyway, this is Claire Lene coming up. Claire. What's up? Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Always always uh, pleasurable to hear your voice. Um, so you reached out through the uh, cyberwebs. And also, folks, um, don't think I haven't forgotten that we've, gotten, we've got to straighten out our intro. Uh, she's an integral part of the machinery, so that's forthcoming. Um, so don't you worry. Uh, Behind the scenes and in front of the in front of the audio, I'm letting Claire know that you know that intro is going to be straightened out momentarily. Anyway, Claire, um, you reached out through the cyberwebs and spoke about a a. I think we'll probably just do this as a regular thing. There's a lot of things going down, so I'm going to give you the mic. So what's up with this this week roundup, weekly roundup? All right, all right. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me the mic. I know that this is kind of new, but I just thought we'd try this out as the captain is on assignment and we are waiting for uh, Uncanny Part 1 <laughs> to be joining us shortly. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought I'd give you, uh, as you said, a weekly roundup. It's just going to be a rapid fire in case you missed it because a lot of stuff has happened. So here we go. After Michael Keaton initially passed on Spider-Man Homecoming, and after Sony and Marvel were still trying to figure out if they could afford to pay both him and Robert Downey Jr., Keaton is back in talks to play the movie's villain, rumored to be the Vulture. Jeff Goldblum and Carl Urban are joining Kate Blanchett and Tessa Thompson as the new additions to the Thor Ragnarok cast. They are said to be playing Grandmaster and Scourge, respectively. And aside from Chris Hemsworth as Thor and Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Mark Ruffalo is also on board to reprise his role as the Hulk. With director Taika Waititi at the helm, this installment is sure to be very different from the first and second directed by Kenneth Branagh and Alan Taylor. Suicide Squad's Joel Kinnaman is going to be starring in a new Netflix sci-fi show called Altered Carbon, based on the Richard K. Morgan cyberpunk novel of the same name. He'll be playing lead character Takeshi Kovacs, a former elite interstellar warrior. Supposedly, his character is of Japanese and European descent. Now, I have some thoughts on that casting choice, but we'll get to that later. The petition to save Agent Carter by moving the series to Netflix has garnered over 100,000 supporters. Haley Atwell is currently working on another show for ABC called Conviction, but she says that she's open to continuing on as Carter on Netflix if the show can work around her current schedule. The new Star Trek Beyond trailer was released yesterday at a fan event celebrating the 50th anniversary of the franchise. It can now be seen on YouTube. Star Trek Beyond hits theaters July 22nd. Negative reviews are already plaguing X-Men Apocalypse. Jennifer Lawrence has indicated that this might be her last go of it as Mystique. 
X-Men franchise is running into the same problem that the MCU will eventually face in the next few years as they enter Phase 4. Contracts expire, and at some point a character will have to be shelved or rebooted with another actor. No surprise here, Captain America's Civil War has made more than a billion dollars worldwide. Supergirl moving to Vancouver... As you all know, the show has been switching from CBS into uh, CW. But this could mean that the Los Angeles-based Callista Flockhart won't return as series regular. It's possible that her role could be downgraded to a recurring, but negotiations are still in play. So first it was getting rid of Seth Graham Smith, who was originally attached to direct the Flash movie, in favor of someone with more directing experience, of which... Graham Smith has none. Then it was giving Ben Affleck executive producer status on Justice League, followed by his directing the Batman solo film. So now the Warner Brothers restructuring continues as Jeff Johns and John Berg will now oversee all DC films from this point on. The studio's confidence in Zack Snyder as the caretaker of the DC multiverse expansion was clearly shaken after the largely negative reception of Batman vs. Superman. Prior to Suicide Squad's theatrical release, Warner Brothers is apparently giving Harlequin her own solo film. Not, not prior to its release, I'm sorry, but prior to uh, its release and introducing the character, they're already planning on uh, giving her her own solo her own solo franchise. That's that's a lot of confidence. Uh, let's see. A four-way crossover between Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow is in the works. It's most likely to occur around December, right around their winter hiatus. And in case you didn't know, Legends of Tomorrow's season finale was this past Thursday. And the Flash season finale will be this Tuesday, followed by Arrow's on Wednesday. And that's all I got for now, but as you can see, a lot's going on. I'm throwing it back to you. Oh yeah, you know, I forgot I thought that uh I thought that this this past flash was the last one, but you're right. This we still have another flash forthcoming this Tuesday. Absolutely. Okay, good, good. Excellent, Claire. That's pretty uh I can dig it. <laughs> I can dig it. I think that's gonna be a permanent fixture. So we always appreciate what you give to our show, so definitely. Uh, folks, if you haven't guessed it again, this is the Grindhouse edition of Afternerd featuring Captain Kirk. And, of course, you just heard Claire Lene. Daryl B. is coming at some point. The captain is out in assignment. He'll be returning for the next podcast. Um, you know, you made reference to um, Mr. Keaton going back into discussions or negotiations with Marvel with this Spider-Man homecoming deal. But there's also John Boyega, his name came up, for Black Panther. And now they're going back and forth with this thing that he may, he may be involved, he may not be involved. Uh, what, what do you think is going on when you start to hear these high-profile names being attached as if they're coming out of, out of like, you know, the blue sky? I'm thinking that there's something to this. I mean, John Boyega is of Nigerian and British, British descent. Uh, he's a young man. He's, he's already attached to a Disney property. Why wouldn't he be uh, involved in, in Black Panther in some way, um, unless it's a scheduling issue? Do you think that uh, there's some kind of shenanigans going on that maybe he will be involved, but they're doing some negotiations? Or I just find it hard to believe that when these things go 
I mean, these, these names are thrown out there that they're really th- being thrown out there for no apparent reason. I think there's got to be something going on. W- what are your thoughts about that, Claire? You know, it's possible that there was some interest either from him or, you know, expressed by, you know, the folks at Marvel. I'm, I'm looking at this both ways. I mean, I... I mean, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. I mean, they are just scrambling to get every high-profile name of every black actor in Hollywood. It's pretty obvious. But on the one hand, as much as I personally would actually prefer Boyega over Michael B. Jordan in terms of, you know, choices of, of, of casting and adding to uh, adding to the tapestry of what, of what Black Panther will be in 2018, I just, I don't know. I mean, like I mentioned to you before, I don't have a problem seeing an actor in multiple high-profile franchises. I mean, we've seen it multiple times in the past. We've seen Chris Evans and Ben Affleck and Ryan Reynolds. How many of these people have worked for both Marvel and DC? So it's not an issue. We've seen Zoe Saldana. She's in Star Trek. She's in Avatar. She's in Guardians of the Galaxy. So I personally don't have an issue with that. But the only thing would be, as you mentioned, scheduling and the fact that it's under the Disney umbrella. So a lot of times when they schedule movies, they don't want to compete against themselves. You don't want to compete against, you know, a Marvel movie versus a Pixar movie or a Marvel movie versus a Disney animation. I mean, it's it's not good business. I mean, the whole point is is that you promote, you market, and you want to take top notch at the box office. So that's my only doubt as to the legitimacy of these of these rumors is because it it literally would be competing against yourself if he were to be in both a major Disney property, which is Star Wars, as well as um, as well as Black Panther under uh, under Marvel, I would love to see it happen. I would think that'd be great, but I just I'm very doubtful. Well, you know, we heard about Michael Keaton initially; that seemed to be a real thing, and then it just fizzled out, and now he was brought right back to the negotiating table. So. Um, I mean, you know, I think it would be a good look. It's ironic that, you know, he became popular as this comedic actor in the early and mid-'80s, and then towards the, towards the end of the-'80s he was Batman. Then he became Birdman with his resurgence on a more serious uh, level, and now he's back potentially being another, quote-unquote, uh, Birdman, if we're, to, if we're to believe that he might be the Vulture. I just find it just interesting how this stuff, how Hollywood works out. So I, I, I and he is a phenomenal actor, both of them, Boyega. So I, I have an interest in seeing how this goes down. But I will say one other thing too that kind of kind of irks me a little, especially with the Black Panther film. You know, they're getting so many of these hot names, and we know we do know that people have to work. But I also would like to see some lesser known folk. I mean, it's kind, it's kind of a weird thing because Boyega is at the point now where he's just starting to become. Uh, a household name, and, and hopefully he'll be able to, to do repeat business. I mean, I became a fan from the the U.K. film, Attack the Block. Uh, that was the one that did it for me as far as seeing how this young man, and even then, 
a few years ago, they were likening him to a young Denzel. So I already thought he was already going in a certain trajectory. But I guess maybe because, because I do know, do know of his work, um, and we don't Michael B., Michael B. Jordan. I mean, these folks are on the come up, but at the same time, I would like to see more, at least half the cast be folks that we're not really familiar with. Maybe some folks from the Nollywood, the, the Nollywood uh, business um, uh, business scene. I, I would like to see that. So maybe they'll do that because they said it's going to be ninety percent uh, African slash African American. So we will see. But um, I, I'm excited. So I, maybe I shouldn't be uh, so nervous when it comes to Marvel because Marvel has certainly proven themselves. Uh, you just mentioned in the weekly roundup that. Uh, Captain America's Civil War has crossed the billion-dollar mark. Where do you think, what do you think is going to happen at this point now as far as the finalized figure? Um, you know, this is what D.C. was dreaming of. I hate to keep on poking, you know, poking that, that elephant. But they're at the billion mark. Where do you think this film is going to actually end up in the next, let's say, two months, two, two and a half months? 1.2, 1.3, 1.5? I'm just curious. I would say, I mean, so they've crossed the billion-dollar mark in roughly what, two, two and a half weeks? Yeah, two and a half like weeks. That. Yeah. Uh, so they're already kind of dipping down because of you know Angry Birds and the Neighbors sequel and whatnot. Um, I don't know, probably maybe one point uh, two. <laughs> I mean, we're just throwing numbers out there because at this point, you know what I'm saying? Like they've already hit the mark. They've already hit that that goal that only certain movies in their um, overall franchise have hit, which would be what Avengers, Avengers mm-hmm. two, and Iron Man three. So. It, I mean, it is significant, and it was pro- projected. Um, and I think the whole reason why Keaton is back on board in this whole negotiation is because of the great success of Civil War and the very positive uh, feedback from Spider-Man's appearance. I mean, that's the whole point, is that when the dust settles and you see where everybody's at, especially from a financial standpoint, then of course then, of course, you know, negotiations can can change, and all of a sudden maybe Sony and Marvel are able to, you know, afford both Robert Downey Jr. and another big name, you know, like Michael Keaton. So I uh, I mean, it's kind of even hard to, to really say where they go from here. They're just getting bigger and bigger. I mean, on average, they've done, what, two movies? You know, which is basically the average for now all of the studios, two movies per year, but I think they're going to be pushing towards three, which is actually, it's it's going to be a lot, if you think about it, because if they get to the point where we have, let's say, three, four, average maybe five or six, seven high-profile comic book movies a year, it it might feel like a lot, let's just say, okay? Um, but no, a lot of, a lot of great Great casting, you know, going on here. I'm really excited about Thor. Really excited. Now that they're, you know, kind of unveiling more of these uh, details, and I'm, I'm really hopeful. Really hopeful. 
Well, I think they're kind of fine-tuning how these things how these things are supposed to go down anyway. So I'm not really worried about Marvel. Unfortunately, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. DC just doesn't seem to. They really haven't figured out what they need to do through their own voice. You know, they're so hell bent on trying to differentiate themselves from Marvel that they just don't really know how to get Marvel business and Marvel monies without being Marvel. So I'm, I'm intrigued about that. I want to t- turn things around a little bit, actually. I'm, I might be late on this issue. Uh, perhaps you know about it as well. I, I find it very disturbing, and, I, and I'm a big fan of J.K. Rowling, a U.K. author, Harry Potter, Harry Potter series, a billionaires because of the Harry Potter, uh, her Harry Potter creation. But, you know, obviously what we talk about uh, as, as folks of color on this show, we talk a lot about uh, cultural appropriation, and also we talk about self-determination as well. But we, we can't discount what goes down when it comes to how Hollywood uh, arrives at their, their projects and their decision-making. So anyway, I, I'm, I, was, I'm, I could consider myself somewhat of a Harry Potter fan, um, but I, I, was, I would say I would normally be intrigued about this U.S. version of Hogwarts that, that um, is coming up. Uh, Magic in North America is, is, is part of it, and of course, um, uh, now I'm forgetting it. The, uh, what is, you know the name of the Beast. Uh, now, now I'm forgetting the name of the, the title of, of the J.K. Rowling uh, imprint. Um, anyway, my major point on this is that it appears that J.K. Rowling tapping into North, North, I'm sorry, pardon me, Native American culture, that she's made some grievous mistakes. And it sounds like the same old, same old kind of thing where folks of color, in this case indigenous, indigenous Native folk, are being uh, perceived in, a, in, a, in an incorrect, monolithic way. So I want to play this clip, actually. Um, this, this, it, this is a thing. And I'm wondering how big of a thing it would be. We know, we know about the, the Washington Redskins and that kind of thing, and this is somewhat dovetailing off of that same kind of attitude, this time from, the well, another faction of the corporates where they make these decisions. They just cherry-pick culture without recognition, without due diligence, without research, and now uh, folks are angry, and rightfully so, and the corporates, they're dumbfounded. They don't understand, or they're pretending not to understand. So I want to play this clip from a YouTube imprint um, that's going to unpack this, this notion. Princess and Scrivener, pardon me, Princess and Scrivener, she, ha- she has a uh, YouTube channel, and she's going to go into this North uh, Native American controversy, and then we'll unpack it as well. Hold on, folks. Give you a couple of minutes of this growing controversy with this new J.K. Rowling um, imprint. U- U.S. imprint, I should say. Hold on. Welcome to the first installment in our new series, Plaid and Prejudice, brought to you by my closet. Today's topic comes from two different people, with Tim Drake Wayne originally suggesting that we do a video about Native Americans, and then Batty Buttercup for making the connection between that and J.K. Rowling's most recent writing. On March 8th, Pottermore released the first of three chapters written by Rowling about the history of magic in North America. This is part of the marketing for the upcoming movie Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I've talked about my disappointment in over in another video. It's because 
in JK's history with belated diversity, it was only a matter of time before something else went wrong. And wrong it did! The first chapter covers the 15 to 1800s and focuses on the indigenous people of North America. However, there are lots of things wrong and offensive with what she wrote, and it made many Native American activists and fans justifiably upset. Unfortunately, this sort of thing is not new. Rowling is just the latest white person to participate in the long tradition of misrepresenting Native Americans. For this video, I'll be focusing on the following five offenses. Perpetuating the ideas that Native Americans are all the same, that they're primitive, and that their beliefs are not real and are magical, as well as violating Native traditions to make your writing more interesting, and making money off of Native stereotypes, which pushes Native authors out of the picture. Let's start with number one. Rowling begins with the Native American magical community, which is wrong. As of 2015, there are 566 federally recognized Native American tribes in the United States with each one having their own culture, stories, clothing, ceremonies, religious practices, language, lore, etc. Not to mention the ones that were destroyed by European colonists. That's ridiculous! You can't just say, European colonist, hashtag not all Europe conquered America. It's also offensive to wear European costumes for Halloween. This is a mockery of something that has cultural significance. Oh, for God's sake! Those names us white people like to throw around, Cheyenne, Seminole, Mikasuki, Lakota, all of those are unique groups. The difference between referring to these European conquerors as European collectively and referring to Native Americans as a collective is that we, speaking as an American, know that Europe is not just Europe. That it's Spain and France and Greece and Finland, etc. And while you, as an individual, may know that Native Americans have the same diversity, the majority of Americans don't know the importance of tribes and the Native American identity. And that makes it easier to stereotype. There's a reason stereotypes are so crucial to racism. They make people feel comfortable doing it. It's easier to ignore police brutality if you think that all black people are thugs and super predators. Grouping all Native American history and people together isn't just wrong and inaccurate, but it encourages this idea that Native Americans are simplistic and easily definable, which is dehumanizing. Europeans have been doing the exact same thing since they met Native Americans, either romanticizing them as innocents with inferior technology, a greater connection to nature, and more like children than the greedy and corrupt Europeans, or vilifying them as bloodthirsty devils with the minds of animals who needed to be exterminated for the good of humanity. I'm looking at you, Sepulveda. These ideas are generally referred to as the noble and ignoble savage, respectively. And these ideas persist today. The ignoble savage is the one we see as the brutal warrior, used as mascots for sports teams, and lazy alcoholics who run casinos and do nothing but mooch off of a government that's too good for them. The noble savage is the crying environmentalist, the innocent native who was tricked by those rascally Europeans, and usually somehow connected to a Eurocentric idea of royalty? The ignoble savage is a threat to white and or Christian culture, and the noble savage is a powerless victim of it. One is to be feared, one is to be pitied. While both are negative depictions that do real harm, the noble savage is the one that non-natives seem to think is good representation. And this is the one that Rowling favors here. She describes Native American wizards as being particularly gifted in animal and plant magic, its potions in particular being a sophistication beyond much that was known in Europe. She probably thought that entire sentiment was a compliment, but she doesn't seem to realize the history of what she's saying. Look at these primitive wizards with their plants and animals, not using wands for proper magic. Is this the tone she was going for? Probably not. While authorial intent does not always matter, impact does. 
I wonder how many native Harry Potter fans will now have to deal with the expectations that they should really be in the greenhouses or down in the dungeons making potions because your people are just good at that sort of thing. And when you account for the fact that most Americans don't have direct contact with natives on any kind of regular basis, there's really not a reason they should think what they're reading is wrong. That's the whole Okay, I think I'm gonna I'm going to cut it there because of time constraints. Again, shouting out Princess and the Scrivener YouTube channel. And she was going in on this controversy that I think has been around for a couple of months, actually. I'm just finding out about it now. But it's connected to J.K. Rowling and, of course, this upcoming um, extension of the Harry Potter series, in the same, somewhat in the same world, Fantastic, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That's coming up, uh, I believe, sometime, uh, sometime in 2016. I think November, right? That's around the same time as, uh, talk about magic, the same time as uh, as the uh, Doctor Strange film. So, anyway, we, we, we talk about this ad nauseum on the show, but I find this interesting that once, once again, we have a beloved, high-profile, wealthy, uh, I guess, honorable person, but J.K. Rowling messed up on this one. What are, you, what are your thoughts about this, Claire? Did you know anything about this? This deal with the appropriation of Native Native American culture and what's happening—it's it's kind of on repeat with us here at the show. Uh, I'm really not that familiar with the uh, with the Harry Potter series, so I I don't know much about it, and I don't really know much about her new project, uh, Fantastic Beasts, and where to find them. Um, so I did not know about this. But it doesn't necessarily surprise me either because I know that other countries have their own take on, you know, racism and any sort of nod or what they believe is a nod to other cultures. And sometimes, you know, even Benedict Cumberbatch, I think for a hot second, you know, people were kind of upset with him because he used a rather, you know, dated term to describe African Americans. So, mm-hmm. of course he apologized profusely and and it's not like it's not like he meant any ill will. We and we know that. We know that there was no malice in his tone or context, but I just feel that sometimes with other other cultures, you know, I think even with, you know, the our friends across the pond, the UK I don't think we even realize what their take is. Um, I've spoken to some friends. I, I had, anyway, years years ago and, and in the last couple of years particularly about this rash of police brutality. And not to say that people in Europe and, and in London or in, in Ireland and whatnot, not to say that they don't have racism. Of course, everyone everywhere is not immune to it. But I think they view I think they view it differently. So I don't feel that I'm under assumption here. I'm just, I'm just, from what I'm hearing, okay, I'm only basing this on what you're telling me because, like I said, I don't really have that much knowledge of her, her books or the movies in general. But I don't feel that there was necessarily any ill will or ill intent. Um, I just think that people... They don't know what they're saying. They don't know that, you know, 
calling something magical and not based in reality, and, and they don't realize that they're being quite dismissive of someone's whole belief system. So I don't know. I mean, you, you know more about, about this franchise than I do. You know more about her as an author than I do. What do you, what do you think she meant? I mean, do you, I mean, you say that she messed up, but, I mean, where do you go from here? It's not, she's certainly not the first, and she's certainly not the last. Well, you know, again, again, what's happening with with part of our machinery at our show here is our purpose is to deconstruct this stuff. And what it really boils down to is, I mean, you have some folks that have uh, that that do bear ill will, and you have other folks that are just so accustomed to their personal mindset, their own way of doing things. Uh, I see that your doppelganger has arrived, by the way. I would like to definitely hear his take on this as well, but um, it's it's pretty. Once we get into this a little bit, Claire, you're, you're going to get this because this is this is pretty deep. But I guess what I'm saying is, Daryl, no histrionics. Welcome, sir. I know you had a good time at the New York Derby. Howdy, howdy. Yep, yep, yep. My Red Bulls won seven zip, so I'm I'm ready. So what am I parachuting in on here? Hi, Claire. All right. Hi. Talk about sir is and you you seem to be all knowing. We might, have to, we might have to call you uh, the uncanny watcher because you seem to know all this stuff. Um, I'm just finding out now that there's this growing controversy involving Native American culture and this fantastic beast movie that's coming up in November from J.K. Rowling. You know, this is the extension of the Harry Potter, ser- Harry Potter series, but now it's basically the U.S. branding of Harry Potter with their own set of uh, houses, magic houses. We know that um, Hogwarts, the land of Hogwarts, there's all these separate magical houses. But in the U.S., there's also a, a magic houses, but she's tapping into Native American lore. And she's just saying just Native American without really counting that, no, there's 500-plus tribes, and they may not dig you just considering their religion – as magic or being dismissive of, of what, what they consider to be magic. A good example, because uh, we just paid a clip before you came on, was imagine if someone referred to Jesus Christ as magical. Like, he, like this is, your, this is your, your magic and not your religion. Um, we would be offended. And that's kind of what's going on here. And just, and just the same old thing with lack of representation. From my understanding, the Fantastic Beasts movie is going to take place uh, in the 19, well, you have two things. You have the the uh, the TV series with uh, magic in North America, and then you have the Fantastic Beast movie, which takes place in the 1920s New York, with a few smatterings of folks of color. I think Jimmy Chan, who I kind of dig, I find him attractive. But that's a separate separate thing. Jimmy Chan from Humans, she's going to be in it. Going to be in it. Uh, an African-American actress, I believe, who's not hard on the eyes. But there's going to be just like, you know, how involved are they going to be in this, in this U.S. version of, of Rowling's, um, Rowling's imprint? So did you know anything about this, Daryl? Well, hold it. Before you even ask that question, think about it. How involved were people in color in the last Harry Potter series? Yeah. Exactly. There it goes. Thank you. Listen, my problem with Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling is comes from a different place than persons of color. I was a Dungeons and Dragons player. Okay, 
I knew the creatures intimately and some of the stuff that she was pulling in her in her thing. And it's and it's not just her. I could aim at the Twilight folks too. Most of these young adult books that want to use supernatural and uh, supernatural creatures and mystic forces and stuff like that, where some of us that have been involved looking at that stuff goes like, that is not how that's supposed to work. Or if you use that, there's got to be a price paid. Thankfully, thankfully, later on in her Harry Potter series, she showed that there was actual prices to be paid for some of the magic that they were doling out. So it doesn't surprise me that they go, oh, that Native American thing looks cool. We're going to use it without going, oh, that looks cool. Let us consult on this. You know, hey, I got to hit David Walker for it, too, because uh, in Power Man and Iron Fist, all right, they're dealing with some ethnic power stone if you've been following the series so of course wh- who do, does luke cage and danny Rand go to first they go to dr strange and dr strange goes there's no such thing as that he doesn't they don't know he, he, that, that, this doesn't shouldn't exist and luke and danny are like uh we just fought it so yes it exists oh this is below me so they went to um a puerto rican slash mexican street magician and he goes, oh, see, we're beneath him, all right? This is the facts on this power stone, and this is, this is the curse involved with it. And thing. So it doesn't surprise me. That, like I said, David Walker illuminated it, and, and folks, if you, it's Power Man, Iron Fist 3 and 4. You'll see the stone. You'll see them go to Doctor Strange for help, and you'll see him just give them the hand. You know, so it doesn't surprise me that J.K. Rowling would use uh, uh, Native American imagery or creatures or history and not do any research behind it. Hell, she could even gotten Chris Claremont. And folks are like, Chris Claremont? Long-time X-Men readers. Remember the adversary? A Native American trickster god. But what Claremont did was he went, he's using him, but he also went to a Native American reservation to talk to a shaman and say, this is, this is what I want to introduce into the X-Men books. All right? I want to introduce this guy as a friend slash foe. How, how would this work? He asked the questions before he introduced them. And... I haven't heard anybody complain about it, mainly because it was outside the, the quote-unquote social justice warrior era. But I didn't hear anybody complain about it at the time. They pretty much thought he nailed it. You know, all J.K. Rowling had to do, and all the people producing this thing had to do, was there, there's Native American experts all over the place. I say all over the place, but they're not hard to find. Before introducing it, before saying this is what we're planning on doing, since we're tapping into North America, we want to tap into some of the myths connected to the tribes of North America, so we want to try to do this. How would this be feasible? This is our plan. And who's to say, to f- say that she hasn't spoken to consultants? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when it comes to writing the script and putting this whole thing together, 
they have final word, they have final decision on what they pick and choose from any sort of, you know, mysticism or magic. Because the thing is, is that I, I'm so sick and tired of cultural appropriation, I'm tired of using those words. But let's just be real about what it is. I mean, when you take, you know, Eastern philosophy or Native American magic, all this stuff, it's just set dressing. It's just set dressing. That's all it is. It's not, there's nothing deep going on here. That's why it's so easy to gloss over and oversimplify because they're just being used as props. I mean, it's no, it's, you might as well just use, you know, the, the huts and, and the, the feathers. And like with, with Asians, I mean, <laughs> you might as well just have everybody walking around in, in geisha gowns. I mean, that's all they're looking at. They're all, that's all they're looking at. There's nothing, no extensive research, and even if there was, again, they choose what they wish to include. Because at the end of the day, I'm, you tell me, you tell me, who is the hero? Who is the lead character of the story? Is it going to be the Native Americans? Probably not. No. Let me it's bring just back some down. exotic locale for the lead character to have that whole exploration fish out of water context. That's all it is. Well, and that's and again, again, mission statement is simple. All right, listen, people of color. All right, if you're going to use them as props and devices, we want we've gotten a foot in the door. We want more. We need we need black. Asian, Arabic, Latino heroes. We need villains. But most importantly, we need fully developed characters. We aren't just stereotypes. As Claire said, we aren't just set pieces. You know, we can be more. All right? And when, when we do stuff like this, or, excuse me, when Hollywood does stuff like this, okay? Okay, you're going to use our stuff. How about including us? All of a sudden, oh, we can't include you. Then how are you using our stuff? <laughs> you know, hey, 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 put that down. Put, put that creature down. You could include a Native American uh, as part of the heroes. You could include a Native American as part of the villains. But, but don't just take our beasts. And then all of a sudden, you guys are the expert on how to fight it? You haven't been here that long, mate. Native Americans have been here a while. You know, you might need a Native American consultant to fight that thing. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, I'm not going. I know I'm going to go visit Transylvania, but I'm not stupid. I'm going to take on Dracula with my black ass. No, 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 no. I'm getting some local help. <laughs> hey, I, I got a fight in Nosferatu. You know, it's going to be me, this white boy here, and, and, and my, my Asian friend over here. No, that ain't going to happen. We're going to need some local help. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have Blade in my Rolodex. <laughs> you know, we kind of need some local help. Well, here, we're shooting it in North America, right? Yeah, it's going to be a bunch of British kids. What? And we're fighting a North, uh, North American, Native American, Indian creature. Yeah, and we got all the information we need to know. No, that ain't going to work. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. 
Real quick, let me give, give a personal shout-out. Unfortunately, because of time constraints, Daryl, we didn't get a chance to really to get into this, this deal. We went to Philadelphia a couple of months ago for the, uh, I guess, the official grand opening of Amalgam Comics. Uh, but this time around, we actually have the 15th annual East Coast Black Age of Comics Convention, uh, ECBOC, which takes place uh, today. I think it's actually closing shop within the next 15, 20 minutes. And I would have really liked to have gone to this thing in Philly. So next year, we have to definitely mark it on our calendars. Yeah, um, yeah, congratulations. yeah congratulations to Chuck Collins. Congratulations to to Robert Garrett. Congratulations to John and Ira Jennings. Congratulations to all of my people of color they're representing this week. Yeah, Ekback 2016, folks. Um, you know what? Let's go to a quick groove. When we get back, I want to go a little bit more into this. And there's still more, even DC's rebirth. Um, I've been in and out of this thing, but it appears that that, that we, everyone's going to get going to get represented, whether we like it or not, in DC's re- rebirth. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. White well, Wally West is returning. <laughs> not that well, I have anything against that, but I mean, you're going to have all these multiple. I mean, it's going to be a black one. It's going to be a brown one. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know how to feel. I don't know what's going on with, with DC. I don't yeah, think they gonna, know what's going on either. Yeah, you're going to take that angle. I'm going to take the the spoiler thing angle because I think that that helps sour it for me. I'd I'd rather have not gotten the spoilers. I'm not going to reveal the spoiler. If you saw the spoiler, you know I'm sorry you saw the spoiler, but that's that's how you hurt the business. Right, well, yeah, why, we'll get why into would that. They spoil it? Why, why would they? Why would they? I mean, you know, whether it's positive or negative, why would they go? Why would we know this? I, anyway, yeah, we'll we'll get into it after the song. Yeah, let's take a quick break, about two minutes, and then we'll get into this. I think a little bit more about this this American. Uh, what is the name of the house for? Uh, you know, Hogwarts is the school. Uh, I think Pottermore is is the name that is the U.S. branch, and. Uh, where I'm in and out of the of the Potter franchise, but um, they definitely have two two names for the houses in the U.S. that are straight from North American North pardon me North American Native American lore, without any kind of research. It's, it's it, I mean no real research. It really is. Even I can see that it's defensive. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to just do it. Usual. Yeah, let's just do this. That's what it is. Let's just do it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, there's no emotional attachment to a name. There's no there's no there's nothing harmful that could come with this. Hi Washington Redskins. Nothing harmful that could come from doing this. No. On that note. Well what do they care? As long as minutes. it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's what we get into. This is my issue with um with all of the, the fantasy, you know, genre in general. Which I lean more towards sci-fi, but the thing about fantasy, I'm sorry. When it comes to a lot of it, let's just be real. There aren't that many people of color, so I just, I, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't really get into it nowadays. When I was younger, okay, fine. I just assumed that the whole world is white and that nobody on TV is ever going to look like me. Okay, fine. But now, now I'm sorry, I can't. I have a hard time getting into these stories. When everybody looks the same, 
No matter how cool the note. magic and the spells and the wizards and the dragons and the this and the that, I'm, I just I, I can't do it anymore. I just can't. On that note, hold on. We'll talk. We'll talk more. <laughs> Despite the weather, by Kate Renata. More discourse, folks. That's the irony. That's the rub. That's what you know. These 
corporates are failing to realize when all of us are going to some of these conventions, white people and other folk are actually uh, jiving to not, – pardon me, not jiving. They're actually um, grooving – I overusage of the word – grooving to Black Panther now. Black Panther is the number one book for 2016 thus far. Whites are actually invested in seeing something different. It's, it's not even about being magnanimous. It's not even about being altruistic. It's about, guess what? People want to see different content. I mean, if you look at it, it, it we could say it's nice. It would be nice to say, hey, I respect folks of color, and I want to see different depictions. I'm sure there are people uh, who are white slash mainstream that, that think that way. But even if you don't think that way, looking at yourself can be boring. To see other mythologies, other people, other looks, other cultures, it, it tips the apple cart. It, it, makes things, it makes life worth living to see, see and learn different things. But to constantly go to that same white well over and over again, even white folks are tired of it. So I, I don't know why the corporates aren't really getting this. I want to just close out on this. You know, um, as I mentioned, there, there are the houses of, the Hog, of Hogwarts, um, of the Harry Potter verse. And with the U.K. version, pardon me, U.S. version, you have Puck Wudgie. You have four, Wampus, Puck Wudgie, Thunderbird, and Horned Serpent. Those are the four uh, houses for the American Pottermore um, that we're supposed to be seeing this November. And I believe Puckwudgie and Wampus are direct Native American uh, inferences. So, but without the, without the due diligence, without the research, we're just going to bogart this without, without respect. So, um, you know, listen, we've been here before. Uh, I, I just think that it's going to get more and more difficult to get away with this stuff without people affecting your pocketbook. I think, I think it's going to get to the point now where you see gods of Egypt and many of these properties, um, Noah and so forth, that people are, people are not going for this. People want authenticity. So I, I don't know why it's, it's, it's still like hitting a brick wall with these corporates where, you know, we, we will see what happens with Ghost in the Shell. I think there's a, I think there's a, 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 a nasty taste in the mouth of many moviegoers who know the behind-the-scenes uh, machinations, and they feel that, you know, this is not really the way this is supposed to go down. And I think people are kind of tired of it. Anyway, Daryl, let me, let me go to you with this DC rebirth. We've spoken about it, hinted at it a few times. Now, I, one, the only thing I think that's good is that what, perhaps my favorite artist, Gary Frank, is involved in this. I, I love Gary Frank's artwork. So I like to look at you know, looking at some of the previews, the 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 art is top notch, top notch. But now they're making it seem as if this is going to let everybody coexist. <laughs> so, can you explain that to me? What 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 the hell's going on? Essentially, uh, from the resolution of what happens in uh, the Dark Side War, which is happening on JLA, all right, and. And the, the Superman crossover that's happening, the final days of Superman, all right, that kicks off DC Rebirth, which is essentially uh, 
essentially it's it's almost it'll return it almost to pre-crisis where you will have different incarnations of the same character inhabiting this realm right you already have it with with the superman and the pre-crisis superman being here you know super uh, excuse me superman and 90 superman because that 90 superman's got lo- his lois and their super son you know I, 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 that's what the, I, that's essentially what's happening. You may have multiple incarnations of the same character here, and it's up to the creative staff to to tell good stories. So essentially, it isn't a company mandate. This is the only character that's alive here. All right, like you're gonna get the due to the the success of Titans Hunt, you're not only gonna get the Teen Titans, but you're gonna get Titans close to the 70s, 80s version, you know, except they're a little more grown up. So you're going to get Nightwing, you're going to get Donna Troy, you're going to get um, Aqualad, the Garth Aqualad. We don't even know where Calder is anymore, you know. You're going to get that. That's essentially, Rebirth is essentially any, any character can almost exist now in the DC universe. Honestly, this should have happened directly after Convergence. But they went back to the DC 52, and this is where it gets confusing. What I was pointing my target at is there's a couple of sites, I'm not going to say them here, I'm not going to, that came out right away and said, oh, DC Rebirth 1, this happens. Bold letters, title, no warning, no spoilers, but it gives away a major plot point right away. And once it's out there, other people have to roll with it. You know, oh, this happens in DC Rebirth 1, Bap. a full 7 to 10 days before the book gets released. How is that helping comic book fans? How is that drumming up interest? You ruined the story right away. So, and and this is for people that say that I hate DC. You know, I'm going to just point this to you again. Here's a story that could have drum up interest if you let it surprise people. You go and spoil the major plot point right away. Why go buy the book now? People are gonna like gonna judge it right away. Why? Why go? Why spring for it? Why? Why go? Why even jump in? That's the, that's the problem I I have always had with telling these major plot points out in newspapers before the hand, telling these major plot points oh on TV before you could get the book, because why buy the book now? You spoiled it. You spoiled the buzz. Could you imagine if you let, let that plot point sneak up on people? How many people would be, oh, that happened in there? I got to go get it. After the point. Beforehand, now we're judging. If you let it happen, if you let it surprise folks, you get a more positive reaction. I've heard people say, oh, this happens to that character. Why should I go by why, why why should I get involved? Oh, it's DC running some more of their same old. And 
it kills the industry. Not that it, the industry is thriving. No, no, it's not thriving. But this is the type of event that would have brought more eyes and more bodies into the comic shop, onto co- uh, co- uh, Cosmicology, onto uh, DC's own in-house service, to get to look, oh, this is happening? Let me get interested in the story. Instead, you shot yourselves in the foot again by letting this publication just run with this story right away. And on the publication, I guess you really don't like comic books, do you? Because you, you killed it. That, that type of plot point would have boosted it up to Black Panther sales numbers. And, and you just, like I said, I, I, I'm tired of, we're the only industry that does this. You know, that, that spoils the major point a full week, a full two weeks before people could actually get, make the purchase. They ruin their own product. You know, and, and and it pisses me off. Back to you, Afro Nerd. Well, I want to bring Claire in on this. But, but but to be fair, if there's such a thing in discussing this, uh, we, we're a part of a spoiler culture now. That's what we do. I mean, even when it comes down to uh, movies, major movie studios, even during the filming of, of uh, Batman vs. Superman, there's people in Detroit that were there. You know, uh, that were taking pictures while the filming was progressing. Filming was progressing. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I think we're at a point where we we just need to know every aspect of everything while thing while films are in development. I mean, we we have to know. I mean, the common person is has access to kind of sort of. I mean, we have scripts that are being leaked routinely. I mean, we almost didn't get Hateful Eight because it was what what was it uh, leaked about six months before it actually six months or even a year maybe before the film was out uh because of of uh quentin tarantino's artistry and and he's i would label him as definitely a um an auteur he was ready to just say forget i'm not doing this so i mean that's that's part of the culture on a larger scale that we just spoil things but to see actual panels from the comic book and I already, I kind of already know what, what the premise is. I would have rather purchased purchased the book and have been excited or or disappointed, whatever the emotion would have been, at the more, at the point where I was reading the actual story. So I, I, I'm, I, you know, it does ruin it for me for some reason to know all this stuff. Uh, Claire, what are your thoughts? I, I know you, you're more on the on the movie side, but um, essentially what Daryl was saying is that these characters. Because of the uh, the racial flipping or whatever changes were done, it could be whatever the changes were. Um, in the comic books, they're trying to have everybody have their cake now. Whereas, okay, you lost the ginger-headed uh, Wally West for the African American version, um, but now he has returned, and it appears that the black Wally West will still remain too. Um, we're seeing that on C- on the CW somewhat, aren't we? I guess. Yeah, things are going to get confusing in a second. Got to get your scorecard. Get your scorecards out. <laughs> well, hey, I'm already confused a little bit by the addition of Wally on the Flash. 
TV show, but that's another discussion. Um, I mean, we we know that it's tradition that things are going to get retconned. I mean, American comic book history spans 80 plus years, so a lot of these characters, uh, aside from you know Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, a lot of these characters go through multiple you know, iterations, multiple versions. But I just find it a little confusing when you have literally the same name being portrayed by different people. That's where I get confused, just based on, you know, what I've heard and what you're explaining. I get that multiple people have been Captain America. I get that multiple people have been The Flash, I understand that. But when you're telling me that there's a black Wally West and a white Wally West and this and that, I'm like, I I don't I don't know about that. You know what I'm saying? I just I just don't know. I'm <laughs> I I can see why it's a little hard to follow, uh especially when you're telling me that they're just kind of giving these stories and plot points away. Explain the, the what you think the reasoning behind that is because I don't think I understand why they would be basically just showing you panels and and giving away the story for free? Do they not want you to buy the book? Is that supposed to entice you to want the book? I mean, I don't I don't understand. It's a good question. I mean, again, you know, it might just be an extension of the whole what it means to, to spoil things. I mean, they're not showing you. It was a preview. It wasn't giving you the book in its entirety, but. They could have hint, hinted at something without actually showing, and we, we, you actually saw a picture of the return of. Uh, actually, what made it even more weird is that it was an adult Wally West in a in his teen costume. So he, you know, Wally West became became the Flash as an adult and was the Flash for twenty plus years. You know, Barry Allen had died in '86 in the crisis the crisis uh, event book. He died in 86, and we didn't see him until a few years ago. So uh, Wally West was the Flash. You know, he, he was Kid Flash, and then, and then, as you would expect, he he matured, and when his mentor died, he assumed the mantle. Um, because of, listen, because of what, we, what we've been championing, we've been wanting... Um, black versions, Asian versions, and, you know, people of color to be uh, in these storylines. But I would have preferred for more original characterization. I don't necessarily need to see, uh, you know, these legacy characters with folks of color in them. But, you know, that, that, that's the easiest way to go. That, that's the Agreed. easiest way to go I don't feel it, comfortable though. with that. I know people are excited, and I, people assume that I would be excited, but that's not what I'm asking for. I'm not – see, this is why I get so confused – why is it that, you know, in this in this medium, and I know there's going to there's been pushback. Of course, there's going to be pushback. What a, 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 a Korean Hulk? What a Chinese Superman? What? Ugh, what the hell? Okay, so here's my thing. I'm not saying that I want to take these major characters and flip them racially. I'm not asking for that personally. In fact, that's not really what I'm aiming for at all. In fact, we talked about this before in terms of Michelle Rodriguez's comments. You know, her delivery might have been a little rough, 
But I get where she's coming from when she was responding to Jason Momoa as Aquaman and Michael B. Jordan as Human Torch, and she comes out saying, well, stop stealing the white people's characters and make some of your own. Okay, so I, I understand. I understand where she's coming from. But that's not what I'm even asking for. You don't need to make Superman Chinese to make me happy. What irritates me is that an opportunity such as the example I gave you earlier in this broadcast, this new sci-fi show on Netflix, okay? It's going to be a cyberpunk, you know, feel to it. It's going to be futuristic, interstellar, you know, a head trip, all right? The character is of Japanese and European descent, supposedly. Okay, here we go, a new, a new property, a new story, a new character that people are not really familiar with, you know, in this, in this novel adaptation. What a wonderful opportunity to cast this biracial character with a biracial actor. You can't tell me that there aren't any Hapa, you know, half Asian, half white actors out there. you got to cast this, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy to play Takeshi Kovacs. Really? Really? That's where I'm irritated. I'm not asking for a major thing like a Chinese Superman. No. Baby steps. That's all I'm asking for. Opportunity for a new character that no one's familiar with. Netflix, you know, science fiction, okay? All these different elements, all these different environmental factors that can more feasibly allow for multiracial casting. And yet, you choose to hire Joel Kinnaman? Really? What's going on here? After all the hubbub, all the noise, that we've been making about Ghost in the Shell, about Ancient One, hell, even about Iron Fist to a certain degree. And this is what I'm hearing? Come on. Come on. So that's why I'm just, that's why when I hear about this stuff with the, the racial flipping of these major characters in comics, I don't give a damn. If I'm going to be real, I'm just going to let you know I don't care. Because that's not what I'm asking for. And most people are going to reject the notion anyway. I'm talking about the stuff that, you know, is feasible, like create new characters. I mean, why? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm on one right now, so let me just throw it back to you. Yeah, well, you know, again, this Joel Kinnaman character, he, he's doing the same thing that, that the, uh, the Kung Fu series did. Is that, is that essentially what you're telling me, that he did the same? What went, back, what went down in 1970? They're literally doing it in 2016. Is that what you're essentially saying? I mean, so with that, I mean, they're all they're all varying degrees of wrong going on. Okay, so with kung fu in the 70s, that was as we've all known, that's Bruce Lee's thing. Okay, that was Bruce Lee's story, his idea that he wanted to put together and star in. Of course, the network said, "Hell no." Now, we don't need your Asian face up in here. So we're going to hire, you know, David Carradine, who can pretend to be Asian, but is not. Wow. And then they did the same thing. Kung Fu, the legend, continues 20 years later in the 90s and had him and his white boy son, who's a, a police officer, solving crimes, you know, while having all these flashbacks 
of how they were in a Shaolin temple. Offensive much? Anyway, so in terms of this, I mean, at least, and, and I think, you know, my, my counterpart had mentioned this before, and it really, again, it, I, I, you made a great point. Edge of Tomorrow, okay, directed by Doug Liman, starring Tom Cruise. I happen to like that movie. You know, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's basically Groundhog Day with an alien sci-fi bent, okay? Aesthetic, right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what is Edge of Tomorrow? It's based on a Japanese novel called All You Need Is Kill. Now, the point is, is that this I'm not mad at because Tom Cruise understood that this is an American adaptation, so he's not going to run around in this movie pretending to be Japanese. That would be ridiculous. But this, what you're telling me, with uh, um, this whole Netflix thing, Joel Kinnaman, you're telling me that he is pretending to be Asian. How is that any different than Emma Stone pretending to be Asian in that movie Aloha? That's where I have a problem. This y'all pretending to be Asian. How is this okay? Yeah, how's it, how are you able to get away with this? I mean, at some point, how, is, yes. it, how it, can well, you get away with it? This blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, Eastern European actor playing Takeshi Kovacs. Really, really Takeshi? Okay. I mean, that, is is right. that really going to be his name? Let, yes, let's go that to, is his name, to... Takeshi Kovacs. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah, um, and his ethnicity. There's no Asian ancestry in it. So, so this is just this is just a this is just a Bogart effect. Let's go to the phones quickly. Two oh one, welcome to the Grindhouse. I think I know who this is. Is this Q Storm? Yes, sir. What's up, man? How uh, was Ekbox, by the way? Oh, it was great. Uh, I was there for about three hours. I couldn't stay for. I'm glad you mentioned that <clears throat> because that was one of the reasons that motivated motivated me to call. Um, listen, I was just listening to Claire go off. And uh, I want to tip my hat and genuflect to Claire because she has ex- she just expressed everything that I get in so many fights about on Facebook. I just got into another one about um, characters who are being. Uh, I think there's a, a report of a black actress playing Valkyrie. I believe it is. Yes. And I'm like, <clears throat> look, I get into this all the time with people. I don't need you to placate me and take the lazy way out by making by take, just taking a character uh, out of whole cloth and making it a person of color. Unlike, let's say, you know, Sam Wilson, who puts on the Captain America costume, that's totally different than saying, okay, now, Steve Rogers is, is a black person. I have no tolerance for that. I, I, I personally didn't like it when they cast... Um, Idris Elba as Heimdall. I'm like, I don't need mm-hmm. that. Um, and I just left Ekbat where I saw literally, literally, literally thousands of uh, con- uh, creator, creator characters of people of color that we could be tapping into. We don't have to make big screen Marvel films characters because people always say, no, it's going to be interesting. It's not going to make money. Okay, YouTube is, YouTube, in 20 years, YouTube might be how we watch TV. Do it on YouTube where it costs next to nothing, and people will come. They should come. 
So I just wanted to call in and say uh, kudos to Claire. She enunciated it perfectly. What I've been trying to say to some of these, I want to use the word fools, but to some of these people out here that don't seem to understand what, it, what we're trying to say. Well, I mean, well, thank you, and I agree thank you with so you. Much. I appreciate it. And listen, I agree with you, and I think what it really boils down to is that you, you do have to understand these folks have a, a desperation to see themselves, and they'll take the crumbs from the master's table, and that's exactly what we're dealing with. We're dealing people who, with people who are very desperate to see themselves. But I think what, what we have to do, whether you're at Podcast Juice or here at Afro Nerd or all these other uh, podcast mediums the po- or podcast media, we have to really kind of – uh, put the fire in the belly of our listening audience to become activists, essentially activist consumers. And that's, that's, that's a hard thing to do, but it has to be done. It means that um, if whatever the product is, if it's a person of color and it's something imaginative and different and it's our own IP. You know, I said this, you know, I've seen you a couple of times in person, uh, Q. My main thing now is, you know, listen, Spider-Man is a billion dollars. I've said this on repeat. Spider-Man as an idea is a billion-dollar idea. There are uh, original ideas that have men and women of color that, are, that could, could also be a billion-dollar idea. Black Panther, if the fates allow it, could be a billion-dollar idea. Yes, Marvel created it, or that Stan Lee and Kirby created the character, and, and we, have to, we have to give them props for even doing that. But there's, there's nothing to stop what happens at, Black Com- at the Black Comic Festival in, at Schomburg or what happened in Philly today at Ekbach or any of the other iterations out there, uh, that these, these unique characters, we, gotta start, we have to start patronizing ourselves and making it happen. We have to start to invest in ourselves because, you know, you're waiting on white folks to products that are going to engender Asian pride or black pride or whatever. I mean, you know, on on the surface, I mean, logically, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. They're invested in, in, in you being a fool, if you notice, a fool or a stereotype. That's what they do. They can understand that. Even with these Native American folks with, with – um, this this uh, fantastic beast. I mean, the first thing that the first thing that J.K. Rowling does is, you know, Native American magic. <laughs> and it's like, and you see clearly, well, damn, it's like five hundred tribes. There's no Native American monolith, but that's the that's the way. It's easier to deal with you that way. When I when when I rail, Daryl and myself, we rail about, you know, the black comic cons and Afro punk and and, and some and Black Rock uh, Coalition in New York. No, you Negroes just do hip hop. That's what you do. Damn, it is. It's it's uh, it's insanity. Hey, that's hey, uh, what. That's why. That's why. When when we get a foot in the door, and I said it on Twitter, I've said it to people. When we get a foot on the door, you don't just relent. You keep on coming. That's why I like what Mr. Seaton's doing with Legend of the Montemagi. You know, that thing has a, has potential to grow out longer, all right? Look at the It Man franchise, all right? You know there's people that don't realize that that's based on true events? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, this actually happened in China. This actually happened. 
it, you know, it, the, the story is very realistic, and and you can make a whole series out of it. And sure enough, that's what they've done, you know. But if we wait for American storytellers to get around to it, um, you hear those crickets too, right? Exactly. Hey, uh, Ebert. Yes. Uh, I also wanted to let you know, you will be happy to know that I have, as of the last uh, the, the uh, season finale for this year, I have cut the cord on Empire. The show has gotten sad and so ridiculous. So, you watched well, yeah, it? You, you, yeah, I'm about to say, you were, you, you, you were, what, was, what was that, man? No, well, this, first of all, <laughs> let's, let's back up a little Let's back up a little bit. Um, what what um what what made you cut what was the cutoff point this time? Let's just go backwards. Yeah, yeah, what was the curious. cutoff point? Well, you know, I, I listen, I don't work at the level of I'm not in Hollywood, I'm not I I'm players probably higher above me in terms of the level of video and film and you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a uh, professional D P but I'm not working at that level. But I feel like I have a command of how a narrative how a, a story should go, how plotting should be. And Lee Daniels, looking at the last season of, of that show, it has nothing to do with the minstrelsy that you that you like to attribute uh, uh, to the show. I think the show is, a, you know, started off as a very well done soap opera show that, that featured a black cast. But it's gotten just, this season just got really embarrassingly bad and stupid in terms of plotting, writing, characterization, and motivation. It's like you would think Lee Daniels was an amateur. And I was like, I haven't seen any one of his films. I don't think I even want to at this point. So, so I think I've only his, seen one of them. Re- I think I only saw Precious. I'm about to say that. That was my first go-to. So, you, so his rendering of Precious with this obese black woman running with a chicken bucket, that didn't give you a clue about where this guy is at? I, I, yeah, I haven't Wow, I hadn't yet seen Precious. I, I planned to watch Precious, and there was another film he did called, uh, I think it was called Shadow Boxer. With a, that was with, uh, big, what's his face? With uh, uh, Tom Cuba, Cuba, um, Cuba Gooding Jr.? Right. Where he makes love to his foster mother? I don't see yeah, you know, I, I just I figured he was a black independent uh, artist, and I'm like, okay, I want to support the guy. Never got around to it. I know that's not, not an excuse, but at this point, I'm like, is this the level of craftsmanship that I'm going to see in his films? If so, uh, let's move on to the next. Listen, when it comes down to to investment, and I've been repeating this, and you know, this is why you listen to the show. I know what you're going to. When it comes when it comes down to investment and people of color, I'm exp- it, it, it's Claire's here, and it's expanded because because you see. There's no limit to this. It's not going to be respectful. Either you're going to be dismissed wholeheartedly or you're going to be put in a buffoonish way. And they will hire insiders, someone like Lee Daniels, who, you know, whether it's being a butler, you know, in a, in a, 20, a 21st century. We were playing butlers in 1939. And, you know, even with, uh, with uh, Octavia Spencer and all these folks getting Oscars, uh, I'm not elated about getting an Oscar in, 19, in 2012 or whatever it was, 2013, versus Hattie McDaniel getting her Oscar in 1940. I mean, it was groundbreaking, groundbreaking for her 
considering the placement of black folks at that time, but you can't do that under an African-American presidency. It's, it's, it's offensive. There's things that are going on now that people are collecting checks because they're collecting checks, but they could care less about the ramifications for folks outside of, outside of their world. Let's go to 312. I know this is, this is our insider right here. Mr. Mims. Yeah, hey, you know what? When Q Storm called, and I had to call in talking about he would stop watching um, Empire. But here's the thing. If it wasn't for Empire, Fox wouldn't be having all these shows next season with black leads. Because, you see, hey, people would turn on the TV to see black people on television. I mean, if you see what they have coming on in the fall, they have this one show called Pitch which is a true story about this young black woman who becomes the first female professional pitcher for a major league game. It was supposed to come out oh, yeah. this spring, but Fox has now pushed it back to the fall. Then the there's TV 24 show. Legacy. They're bringing back 24, but this time with a black male right. lead. Right. And then there's another limited series called um, Shots Fired with Chanel Lathan that was created by uh, Gina Price Blythewood, who, of course, directed Love and Basketball and, um, you know, other films. <clears throat> and the only reason Fox is doing this is because Empire became such a big hit for them, and they realized, hey, wait a minute, people actually turn on to see a black show. Ugh. Why does it always have to be this, <laughs> like, this complex? Why does, it, why does it always have to be complex like that? It is. I mean, That's oh, life. It's, it's, I'm, even I'm getting a headache from it. It's like you know. I, by the way, I I've know. seen the new. I, by the way, I've seen the new Roots. Yeah, you know the, the uh, reboot, the remake of Roots. Yeah. The trailer looks interesting. Well, it's kind of a mixed bag. I've seen the entire episode. I've seen the entire series. It's kind of a mixed bag. There are some really, there are some things that really improve on the original. And then there are some things where you say, why did they even bother? Um, the great stuff about it is that it was shot on location. You know, they actually went to Africa. They shot scenes in South Africa. They shot scenes in, um, in the south of Louisiana. It lends authenticity to the film, to the project, since the original was mainly shot in back lot. The performances are actually very good. Uh, this young brother, Malichi, actually he's a British actor who, who plays Kunta Kinte. He's really quite good in the film, uh, in the series. And there are other roles as well that are well done. Um, but at the end, you're like, you know, why do they well, bother? Was it necessary? Was it necessary? Yeah, was it necessary? Now, what they do, what, what one thing they do is that, well, two things. First of all, one, it's extremely violent. You know, I was surprised. There are, like, graphic dismemberments, lynchings, shootings, stabbings. Um, well, just one that you might gentleman. need to see. That, well, that you one might, gentleman. Respectfully, 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 you might need to see that. Yeah, I hate okay. to say, but that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, um, just one gentleman's duel, which is, turns into a bloody mess. Um. And also, it adds a lot of stuff that was not in the book and not in the movie, and you can say that it's necessary. Like, there's an attempted slave revolt on the slave ship. There is um, 
stuff where it involves Kuta Kente when he runs away and he joins the British Army and gets involved in a skirmish. Uh, there is a scene in the uh, final episode where it's the uh, battle during the Civil War, the Battle of Fort Pillow. This is the battle where the Confederates won, and the first thing they did was they massacred all the black troops. There's all this stuff that's added into the show. It makes it interesting, but it actually doesn't really add anything to the story. It's sort of like a sidebar. And if you cut all that stuff out, you wouldn't lose anything. Um, but like I said, the dramatic impact of the show is muted, A, because you've seen it before, not just in Roots, but you've seen it in 12 Years a Slave. You've seen it in um, all kinds of slave narratives that have been done over the last 40 years since the original Roots. So when you're seeing it now in this new version, it doesn't have the kind of emotional impact that they think it would have had. Well, I'm glad you gave us that information. Um, you know, we may have to revisit it on Wednesday show, actually, Serge. But uh, I tell you what, let's 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 move to another uh, issue I want to get into because we have got less than 30 minutes. Um, I want to keep you keep you uh, in queue, also, Serge. Uh, Claire, did you happen to see the? And this goes into a little bit of, of kind of a racial thing, also. Something that that I've always imagined, and I might we might actually see it for for a black. Time Traveler. This uh, we'll see how long it lasts, but it looks kind of interesting. Timeless. M- NBC's Timeless trailer hit the cyberwebs, and you know it's t- another time travel science fiction story. And the pilot is African American, and he's argumentative about going into the past, as I would be. I would say, well, listen, I'm, I, I, listen, I would love to see uh, Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes, all those folks, but. <laughs> I don't know if I'd feel comfortable going to 1940 Georgia, 1940 Harlem, maybe, for, but for a finite time. But to ask to ask a black person to go back in time is a scary proposition. I don't know if I want to go back to 2015, let alone 1915. You, you, I will lose, I will lose my mind. So that's happened. Did you happen to see that trailer, by the way? Timeless. I did. I did. I took a look at it. What are your um, thoughts it about it? It looks interesting. It looks interesting. I mean, it's from Eric Kripke. He created Supernatural. Um, the uh, the black character, the 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 pilot of the of the time ship. He uh, apparently he's the comic relief. Um, <laughs> the only time yeah, that he got that to part. see during the trailer was to you know you know pull the race card. I mean, I he. He panicked. He's like, oh, hell no, I can't. I'm black. There is literally no point in history that is awesome for me. And then when they do travel back in time, and then the police officer puts him in jail and calls him boy, and he's all like, you know, I can't wait for you to see Michael Jordan dunk, Michael Jackson dance, Mike Tyson throw a punch, any guy named Michael. I mean, the future is not on your side. Well, see, that line, I'm going to say, it kind of threw me off a little bit. But that's just because I have a cynical, you know, point of view (laughs) as of lately. Um, I don't know if that's really true, if, if he can really say that the future is not on your side. Because to me, it seems like it is. But I don't know what time period the show is based. 
I don't know if it's present day or a not-too-distant future. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Did you ever watch that show, Seven Days? Do you remember uh, what I'm talking about, Uncanny? Remember Once yeah. Upon a Time, it used to be on UPN? I think, yep. yeah, you know about... Yeah, 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 I got the same vibe. Uh, it definitely has a seven days type vibe where Absolutely. where where it, it's got solid points, but you could feel the cynicism and sarcasm coming through where I, I saw that jail scene, and the first thing I thought of is, you, you know, by saying all of this, you could affect the time stream. You know, you don't need to reveal all of that. that that's just the geek in me going... Boy, shut up! Just shh, shh. You know what's coming in the future. Just <laughs> keep keep your mouth shut. Just uh, right there, like I'm gonna have such a love hate thing with this. It's not gonna be believable. Uh, we still got Sergio on the mic. Yes, here. Yeah. All right, Sergio first. Glad to hear you're doing better. All right. Mm-hmm. And you brought up roots. I wanted to ask, what did you think about WGN's Underground? You know, I must admit, I have not seen it. And the reason why I have not seen it was because I was in the hospital at the time. And uh, the hospital state, the hospital TV couldn't pick up the channel. Uh, I have to watch it. I'll have to binge it. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I'm interested in hearing, like, you compare it to Roots. Because I thought uh, Underground was well done in parts. And mm-hmm. similar to what you were saying, the love-hate thing with, with Roots, that's that's what I had with Underground. The cast is strong, and I want to see how they grow them. But when it comes, to every, let's face it, every every slavery thing we have is going to be compared to the original Roots. So you know, this it it, it can't be helped. You know, we're well, going not to be surprisingly, not surprisingly, Underground was a huge hit for CW. Huge hit. It increased the ratings by. Well beyond 100%. So, of course, they're bringing it back. Hmm. Um, if you saw the show, you can probably see, if there's a, is is there an open end for them to bring back the show or yes. something of that nature? Yes. It's definitely, okay. it, it, could be, it could be considered a one-season thing if it wasn't popular. But yeah. judging by the, the Twitter traffic over the show, and I, like I said, uh, the first show for me was slow. The next couple, it picked up speed, and the last three of the year was wow. Between that and Salem, WGN is now beginning to corner the fantasy market. You know, uh-huh. they're, they're, start, they're starting to bridge out here. Because you could, you could see where the WGN is starting to put money behind this stuff. So, By the like way, said, before, before I go, <clears throat> have any of you heard about... <clears throat> This movie now in production called Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. Okay. It's uh it's a movie that stars uh Taraji P. Henson, Octavia Butler, and uh, okay, already now you sound like uh oh, sounds like trouble. And uh and Oh wait a minute, uh, the, it's a, it's a, the mathematicians the mathematicians The mathematicians, right. About the movie yeah, about you know the what? black female mathematicians who work for NASA during oh, the nineteen sixties. Yeah, yeah, it, wait, that, that's the only problem is I didn't like the casting. But let's say tell me something different. Well, I have Jan- Janelle Monet. That's what I'm trying to think of. Janelle Monet. Yes. Yeah. Well, I like her. That's that's <laughs> <more of> her, <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> Afro nerd. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't want I don't want Janelle Monet, okay, yeah, okay. We got one I like. Well well Janelle Monet, you know, she uh, represents the Afro the Afro punk thing and she also represents uh you know uh, science fiction. Yeah. Yeah, Afro, I mean so she you know, she's about that life. I don't know about those other other two are minstrels to me. Well, you know, you can kind of argue it's lazy casting because you know the cast is yeah. let's get let's get Taraji because she's hot, you know everybody knows her. Let's get Octavia Butler because she's won an Oscar and she was in that made movie and everybody knows her. Janelle Monae is a more interesting choice. Now I don't know who else is in the film because I have seen stills and it's like all black women, so I don't know who else is in the film. I have to look that up. Uh, so there may be some more interesting actresses in supporting roles, but well, yeah, one other Taraji. Thing, you know, one other thing. One other thing. Since since you mentioned you know some of these these slavery IPs, you know that that's the thing that becomes problematic for me. I mean, I know I tried to look at a little bit of Underground, I mean, because I heard that it's, it's a little bit of mysticism involved in it, and uh, you know, it, but it's just I don't know. I, I, I just have a way where I can't see this stuff. It, to me, it seems like we're constantly being put into tropes, repeated tropes. Like either it's going to be civil rights or it's going to be slavery, as if that's the extent of the African-American experience. And even if you were to do slavery, slavery films, well, I guess you could, we could say that, um, that Underground is about you know, overcoming slavery, which is interesting. But there are a whole bunch of stories in between, man, that are, that are completely fascinating that very few people I've have, I've heard that they that they're trying to tap into cinematically, you know, like Ellen and William Kraft, you know, this, the couple that escaped slavery because the wife who was fair-skinned and she was the daughter of the of the owner of the of the slaver, that uh, her she and her husband escaped slavery by her pretending to be a male and white. Now that is a story. I always imagine someone like I said this comically, but it might have worked. They had remained a couple, um, Nick Cannon and Mariah Carey. That would have been an interesting. If, that would have an interesting look if they would have pursued that story, um, or even a story. I, uh, I can't remember her name right now, but she was one of, one of this this um, slave, former slave that had an eidetic memory, who ended up being a a uh, spy for the Union Army. But she was working for Jefferson Davis as a Confederate, and she pretended to be she pretended to be this dim-witted slave. However, she was a genius, so she was able to re- recount every everything that was going on around her. Like they would give out secrets, and she's just a dumb slave. Mind you, she she has uh, a photographic memory and was extremely well educated. Now that story, see that kind of story. For some reason, they don't have the money in the budget for that. So that's why I'm, I, I get a little weird when it comes to slavery stories. You well, want I must qu- tell <clears throat> you. Want quality? I must tell you. No, I, I must tell you. The, 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 of the new shows coming out this season, next season, the one I'm really looking forward to is 24 Legacy because I just want to see a black guy being a hero every week. Is that too much to ask for? I just want to see a brother being a hero every week. Not the sidekick, not the comic relief, a hero every week. That I want to see. Well, we see. Uh, I mean, in all respect to Fox, 
we are seeing, and I like the show actually, um, with uh, we, how was it Rosewood? Where, yeah. You know, it, it, Marsh it, Chestnut. It, it's, a, it's a good, it's a good representative. It's a good representation. I have to admit, it is and, good representation. And I won't lie, this week I, I put it up. Yo, I'm I'm sitting down hurting from work. I put on Rosewood and his partner Jaina and and having Sally Richardson Whitfield on. Yo, oh my God. there was nothing. There Woo! was nothing else going on in the world. I'll just say it like that. I was just like, thank God for DVR. I played this episode several times. Click, click, click. Okay, now, Sally let me ask, okay, now let me ask you guys this question. Let me ask you guys this question. Yeah, matter of fact, she grew up literally three blocks from me. Literally. No way. Oh, I would have known her. Wow. I would have known about her. Because oh. I once, this is before she left for L.A., I once walked her home. See, this is why Sergio is a legend, folks. You know, I once walked her home. You know, and that, I remember that. telling me, when she was very young, and you know, and I met her uh, a few years ago, and I told her, I said, you grew up in, you, you lived over there in Woodlawn? She said, hey, how'd you know? I said, you don't remember? I once walked you home one day. <laughs> really? Ah. Yeah. We, okay. we, this is the type of greatness that me and Alpha Nerd uh, 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 try to achieve, but always fall on our faces somehow. I said I walked her home. She didn't invite me in. Oh, so anyway. hey, don't have to ruin the dream now. <laughs> but anyway, here's well, one what I want to ask one of, you. One of, my, one of my friends that I grew up with uh, it actually went to school with her husband, Dondre Whitfield. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the six degrees of separation, I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I must. Oh, here, here's the question I want to ask you. There's been controversy about black actors not in movies, not playing black people themselves, playing aliens. You know, you have um, Zoe Zeldana. You know, in a couple pictures, she's been painted blue or green. And then you have uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who's basically doing voiceovers. As characters, now you have Idris Elba in a new Star Trek film. Yeah, that, well, that that's something that's something that that unfortunately is a stigma that we can't get over. But in Agent Carter, we had Reggie Austin. You know, it, it, it's come, it's slowly coming around. It's not coming around fast enough. Hell, containment. I, I keep on. Uh, containment may be canceled, but there's still two more episodes getting ready to roll. I still urge everybody go out there and check the brother that's in charge. Check, and um, I forget the name of the other dude, the the black dude that was in Baywatch. Um, he's he's the police captain. The chief, you know. He always the, plays the police captain. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's his typecasting, you know. But you're talking that, about Gregory, Gregory something, Gregory something, yeah, right? Yeah, but I know but who he is, yeah. But it, it's it's strong. There's a position of strength there, you know. He's vulnerable, yes. The 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 young cop, he's vulnerable, but there's a position of strength there where I'm just like, you know, this is the type of thing we gotta support. Why aren't we doing this ourselves to echo Afronerd? We can do more roles. We don't just have to be slavery cops. 
the thing. And ironically, he's a cop, but like I said, he's doing a lot because now he has to deal with the political system. I need to get more cops in there. No, it's a hot zone. How do I get them help without screwing my position where I get, but get more information in? You know, the, we need more thinking roles. We need more high action roles. That's why, well, like well, Sergio, well, well, I have hope for 24 Legacy. Yeah, but listen, I, I, I'm hearing these things, and I think it's fine. But we need to create our own industry within it. Within, I mean, that just makes sense. Why did why did be, why be dependent on somebody else giving you a check? I mean, this goes into like the the very essence of business. Also, I mean, on some, at some point, you're going to have to create your own product. I mean, even what 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 Nate, um, uh, the gentleman Turner? that did uh, that did the, 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 the Nat Turner. I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, uh, Nate Parker. Yeah, Nate Parker, right. right. What Nate Parker has done, I mean, essentially he went to work on on this on on his own and got the money up. I mean, you're going to have to kind of take the hit and do the heavy lifting because to constantly wait for jobs and wait for people to kind of give you what you want or or to kind of go into your head and, and, and figure out what's respectful to you, they don't seem to want to be able to do that. Uh, I, I want to go into one quick other thing before, because time is kind of fleeting. Um, I did happen to see the last two episodes of Shield, <laughs> and uh, Chloe and Chloe Bennett has been very outspoken. I, I saw something that, that Clara had said where she thought she might be jeopardizing her job, because you know sometimes you can't—they won't let you speak out like that. Uh, she's spoken out about diversity, and she's spoken about her own name change to get work. You know, she, she's a part Asian ancestry, and she had to keep her surname hidden. Once she went out as Chloe Bennett, she was able to get work. When she was Chloe, I think Chloe Wong was her name, uh, not so much. So she says now, she says now, uh, uh, which is, I think is true, she says that what's the deal with what's happening on S.H.I.E.L.D. not crossing over into the Daredevil the Luke Cage, the Iron Fist forthcoming, Jessica Jones, like all these things that are going on, and in, and in the movies, she says that the crossover thing isn't isn't really real. Nope. Um, Claire, what are your thoughts about that? Is is she onto something? I mean, she's kind of saying things. I I suspect the, the suits probably don't want her to say. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Here, and again, I always look at things from more than one perspective. On the one hand, when I said that, when I said that, because she was talking about how, you know, nobody cares about the TV show. Nobody cares about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I said that everybody knows that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a very expensive weekly advertisement for the Marvel brand. We know this, okay? We all know this. When I read her, some of these comments, regardless of whether or not I totally empathize or I totally understand where she's coming from, the tone that she took in these comments, I felt, was rather uh, not just indelicate, but really ungrateful, like just really whiny. And that's why I said that. That's why I said that she's biting the hand. Now, does that mean that I'm disregarding the truth behind it? Of course not. When she was talking about how, you know, it doesn't really have as much diversity in terms of leading roles for women and minorities, 
that we have a bunch of guys named Chris, you know, being Captain America and Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor, you know, a bunch of white boys named Chris, then, yeah, of, of course, I laugh because, yes, yeah, we know that. You're right. Okay? You're right. Now, seeing how things have unfolded, I understand her frustration. Okay? I do. They canceled Agent Carter. They're not moving forward with, with uh, Most Wanted. And to top it off, they're pushing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Okay? So they're pushing her show an hour later. Now, this has all been the culmination of other reports that we've heard that not only were uh, was uh, Marvel not even planning on having her or Coulson or any of the other characters merge into the, the, the film uh, side of Marvel with the Inhumans, not only were they not even planning on having them cross over, but now the Inhumans movie is off the table anyway. Because let's face it, let's face it, time, time scheduling for TV versus film is extremely different, and it's complicated, and by the time an Inhumans movie would even be possible, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be long since canceled. Let's just be real. So I understand her frustration because she, along with a lot of other actors, including Clark Gregg, who plays Coulson, including uh, the girl that just left the show because she thought that she was going to get her own show. <laughs> What's her name? She's going to play Bobby Morris Mockingbird. Her name is Adrian Palicki. And Palicki, yeah. I think, I mean, talk about being upset. She has every right to be upset. She left Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. along with that other guy to have their own spinoff, and then that gets put on hold. And the only reason why she took this role, because keep in mind, she was doing some movies. She's, she's done a lot of stuff. She was going to be Wonder Woman on TV at one point. She's been on G.I. Joe. She, you know, she's, she's the action girl, okay? That's what she was trying to build. She took this role in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because she was under the impression, like they all were, that they were going to cross over into the films. Now that that's not going to happen, I get why Chloe is upset. I understand, especially if, since her show is being pushed back an hour. I get it. She's frustrated. So, of course, she feels like Marvel doesn't care about us. And sadly, while I agree, I do agree, now that Marvel has blown up and expanded so much in terms of the films and in terms of Netflix, I agree that now they don't really seem to have any necessity or purpose for having, having Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, which there are a lot more limitations and higher expectations regarding ratings. So I understand why she's pissy, but as someone, for me, whenever I hear an actor complain, my first instinct is to be like, shut the hell up, stop being ungrateful. That's my first instinct, that's all. Even though I know where she's coming from, please believe that when she complains about this or when Idris Elba was complaining about, you know, working on Thor, having to do all that wire work and, and wearing the contacts and the costume and doing the green screen, and he was all griping and moaning about that and how, oh, I was playing Nelson Mandela. Like, listen, Idris. Listen, I respect you. You're so talented. 
But please stop. But this pays stop the bills. complaining. But this pays the stop bills, though. Stop complaining. That, because and, and please, now, I mean, so many people would kill, would kill to switch places. And now he's, he's in full costume as a villain in the Star Trek thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to see his face. Yeah, obviously his, his uh, co- co- uh, complaining died down when he saw the paycheck and the royalty money if it's a giant hit. You know, right? with, 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 with Chloe, I understand where she's coming from. I you know, her, And she's not the only one to say it. You know, uh, Clark Gregg has said it. Ming-Na has said it. You know, how, you, you know, all of this stuff is happening one way. You, you, we could do the, the, the cross the other way, too. We could uh, further the exposure, you know. And, and, and let's face it, it's Disney and Marvel. A five-second, ten-second thing on another show wouldn't hurt, you know, to do it. But that being said, this thing just got moonlighting. You know, this this thing, we're going to change its time slot to a later slot. Uh, um, ABC, you realize that 60% of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. audience is 16 and under, right? You know, you moved it to 10 o'clock. Kids got school. You know, you, you just wiped out the major audience here. So how is it going to succeed? What? 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 What do you do with the planning on that part? Well, well, but, well listen, I think I think that that uh, Claire had already put put it out there that I mean this has already been kind of written off. You know, if you have their major properties making billions of dollars, literally, they can afford to have this this weekly infomercial uh-huh. on to begin with. My only my only thing is that. Yeah, uh, get weedy. It could have something it, different. It should definitely, it should definitely weedy. be, co- it should definitely be yeah. connected to some of the, the other cereal. stuff that's going on. Because listen, they have the the, the and, episode. Uh, we I need think cold that cuts. Da- and I think that Daryl, Daryl made a a, a, a a connection to this. They 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 introduced the life model decoy thing. So yep. why would you do? I mean, this is like a major story thing. In Marvel mythology, so you have Ellen because we were expecting to see LMDs with the first Captain America film. I mean, sorry, the first Avengers film. We hell, I thought that that Coulson had survived because he's already an LMD. So now we got the LMDs. We're seeing Kree's walking around. I mean, it, I mean, you know, hey. it, it, just, it, it does seem a little odd that they're mentioning a lot of this stuff, and they, we can't connect it to anything. Well, I'll go like this. Hey, if we only got 10 episodes left, screw the budget. Hey, we're going to get ready to get out of the door. Let's make it balls to the wall. Let's just go. Let's go nuts with this. That's why I was surprised that they killed off the character they killed off. If folks didn't see it, I'm not. Uh, again, I don't spoil. You're going to just have to go check out, check out the last episode to see exactly who died. But... You know, you you in in three episodes they killed off three major characters on this show. You know, so so I'm just saying, if I only got a life expectancy of ten episodes, fifteen episodes left, hey, we're out the door already. Let's just open up the closet and have a little fun here. Let's just Wait, one go thing, nuts. One thing did did the Latina speedster she survived though, right? Mortally wounded. They didn't say she was yeah, dead. 
She's she's still she's in that TV limbo. If they want to bring her back, they can bring her back. Remember, in the books, Yo-Yo lost both her arms, and it's still there. So I'm just yeah. saying, it that. is possible. You know, I I want to see Agent Thirty Seven back. <laughs> you know, the 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 black secret agent that Colson trained and was close to. I would love to see that. Right. Hell, everybody, you forgot about Deathlock? Where's J. August Richards? I was yeah. waiting for him this season. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying, we can open it up, uh, 10, 15 episodes left in the series. Let's go nuts. Why hold back? Let's let's just go. Hey, hey Hydra's back again. Hey, you're using that helicarrier set? We're going to use it this season. Hey, well, we're, well, we, we didn't even see Roller this season. We have a few seconds remaining, unfortunately. But uh, I will say that the L&Ds probably are a way to bring back all those folks. I mean, the, the doctor himself had said that, you know, you see, seeing friends die, they wouldn't have to see their friends die if the LMD thing goes into motion, which means they could potentially bring back – I mean, it, 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 may, it may be offensive to the, to, the, to the friends, but in theory – he could bring back those people as actors that died a few shows ago as LMDs. That's what yep. I think is, is going to happen. And potentially. And, and it, it just cue the the uh, Avengers Invaders crossover type thing where Ultron takes control of all the LMDs and you have to fight your friends and fight yourself. It's happened before. It'll happen again. That's why I said balls to the wall here, people. Balls to the wall. On that note, we got to close shop. Claire, Daryl, Sergio, Q, as always, Wednesday we have another show, the midweek. Always a pleasure. Going out on some Van Hunt, Count Base D, half the fun. See you on Wednesday, and then we'll do it again next week. It's been real.
Hurt more when it's cold outside. We got the month of May. <laughs> 